Well, good afternoon. This is 970 WDAY, and I'm Tim Flacco. Uh, some of you may know me because I am the Tri-College Provost, and Tri-College is comprised of five campuses in the Fargo-Moorhead area. And uh, also, I'm the Director of Operations for NDSU Downtown. And some of the listeners may remember I did a segment many years ago on WDAY called Flacco's Friday's Flicks, where I reviewed movies. So, uh, But today, there's no movie reviews. We're going to bring on some great guests for you to listen to. Uh, or you can call in, certainly, at 293-9000 or 888-970-9329, or if it works better for you, you can email or text us at talk at WDAY.com. So again, it's 293-9000 for the call-in number. Uh, we're going to have Craig Whitney, who many recognize from the FM Chamber, who's going to be on in around the 145 segment. Uh, before that, we'll have Dr. K. Brewer-Doran from Concordia College, she's the dean of the Offutt School of Business to talk about an exciting new program. They are in the process of launching on executive education programs. And our first guest, who hopefully uh, we have connected with, and we're ready to roll with him, and he's chomping at the bit, I'm sure, and sunny part of the world, uh, is my longtime friend and uh, the pride and joy of Kankakee, Illinois, uh, John Dietrich, who is the original general manager of the Fargo, Moorhead, Red Hawks. And really, John, I think we can credit him with you know, really producing not only high-quality baseball, but really a electric and wonderful family-friendly environment that uh, the Red Hawks are so known for for so many years. And he was my boss when he was general manager. And, and really, I could have not asked for not only a better mentor, a better boss, but a great friend. So welcome to the show, John. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are tuning in to hear a familiar voice because I think you were on radio for many years with different things, uh, pushing the Red Hawks and, and, uh, certainly have a soft spot in the heart for many people in this area. I do. And thanks, Tim. Uh, I think, uh, that introduction ought to do, I think I'll hang up now while I'm ahead. <laughs> well, then you got to okay, put on Lois because we know Lois does a lot of work too. So your lovely yep, bride. She's, so. uh, She's actually just uh, right here by me watering plants right now. You're in our beautiful palatial Arizona home uh, out on the patio. Uh, it's a double wide. Uh-huh. So okay. Just so you know. And not to make Lois <laughs> jealous, but, you know, when I posted that you were going to be on the show on Facebook, one of the likes came from a person you would recognize from, uh, you know, TV days, uh, Julie from the Love Boat, who is a friend of mine, uh, posted that she was excited that you were coming on. Uh, the show with me today. So maybe that's a future guest that we have because uh, she has a, a great and interesting life out in, out in the western part of the United States. So, uh, Yeah, that's great. So uh, not to make Lois jealous at all, but uh, certainly <laughs> an icon in the industry. So so what are you up to these days, John? Just kind of fill us in on, you know, where have you been in the last couple of years? What are you doing? Uh, what's your typical day like? Uh, those kind of things. Well, well, we retired. We retired in 2013 after the 2012 baseball season. We were running the Joliet Ball Club at the time in the Frontier League, and then when I want to say we. It's both Lois and I. You know, as everybody knows in Fargo, we're a team. So we've always been a husband and wife team. So um, came out to Arizona where because you know we had come here for spring training so many years, and we always said this is probably where we would retire, and uh, that way I could stay involved. In, in baseball because it's you know baseball is here 11 months out of the year really in Arizona the only month they don't play is December pretty much but um, 
So uh, in 2013, we did nothing. Uh, we just uh, hung around and enjoyed uh, being uh, off the hook on everything, you know. And then 2014, the Mariners called and asked if I would uh, be willing to. I did, I did work uh, for spring training. I worked for Cleveland Indians, and I still do. I just finished my fifth spring training with them. I still work every, eight weeks every spring for the Cleveland Indians. But uh, and I did that starting in thirteen, but then um, in fourteen, after spring training, uh, we headed out to Pulaski, Virginia, and ran the Appy League team for the Mariners for one summer. Okay. It was basically a one summer thing. They were pulling out after that season. The Yankees went in there, and the Mariners left, and uh, so we just did it the one year uh, under that understanding, which one season, it wasn't even a year. We were just there for the summer because it's a short season league, even shorter than the, uh, Red Hawk season. So did that, that summer. And then since then, all I've done is, uh, base, uh, spring training for the Indians, eight weeks. And then I worked for MLB <clears throat> major league baseball in the fall at the Arizona, uh, a fall league which is a league mm-hmm. for pros- where they all the major league clubs bring their top prospects in here for about a six-week season. So basically, that's my baseball activity. Eight so weeks are you kind of a jack-of-all-trades these days with the various organizations, or you just do whatever pops no. up that day, or you have specific <clears throat> things? Or No. You know what it is? I tell people I'm, I'm the baseball equivalent of a Walmart greeter. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, which is a retiree job. So I basically in spring training, there's 14 of us guys. They're all retired. All of us are retired. And we, we rotate around the complex, the Indians training complex. And our main job is just to keep fans from getting into areas that they shouldn't be in. You know, in other gotcha. words, keep keep a, a track of who's coming and going and making sure that, that fans, there are public areas and there's lots of fan access, but there's, also areas they can't get into the clubhouse, for example, or, you know, certain areas in the practice facility, batting cages, things like that. So we we just do that. It's very, very easy. You know, I, I told my boss, I called my former boss of the Indians when I ran Indians Farm, farm Clubs. He's, he was the president of the Indians when I retired. Mark Shapiro, he's now the president of the Toronto Blue Jays. But I called mm-hmm. I Mark that. and just said, <clears throat> I need a... I need a job, but I, I want a retirement job. I just want to go out there and stay around the ballpark. And he said, "Come on out, we'll find something for you to do." And that's what it is. And then in the fall league, I just do. I, I work. I run the gate. There's only one gate at Scottsdale Stadium where I work, <clears throat> and so uh, I run that gate. They don't draw that. They only draw 500 or oh, okay. 600 Pretty fans modest. a night yeah. in the fall league. Yeah, it's not but really it, promoted. It's more or less a practice league. And you and I really haven't talked on the phone for quite a while, but I think we follow each other on Facebook, certainly, and and uh, along with some others like Lee Schwartz. And, my gosh, who knew Lee Schwartz was funny? I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. he's the funniest guy on Facebook, you know, Lee Schwartz is. So he, it's just great. He is pretty uh, funny. Yeah. So, yeah. hey, I just want to cu- throw a couple things out to you uh, and get your reaction to them. Uh, what do you think of this year's new Major League Baseball instant walk rule that they've incorporated? Do you like it or give and take or what, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? What are, what are people thinking about that? I think a lot of traditionalists don't like it because you can throw, you know, you can throw a ball away. I've seen, you know, we've all seen that happen where a guy is trying to throw four balls and he accidentally one gets by the catcher and everybody moves up and, or, you know, uh, every once in a while, I think Johnny bench did it in a 
World Series once, he swung at a ball that was supposed to be an intentional walk and got a base hit or something. But I, I can't remember exactly the circumstances on that. But so that's eliminated. <clears throat> I guess it's part of the speed up the game yeah. Yeah. idea by the commissioner. And it will speed up the game a little bit. But to me, the speeding up of the game isn't as big a deal as it is to them. I guess I think the millennials won't won't don't like the game because it's too slow. But the relaxed See, pace of the baseball game is part of the appeal to me. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, my personal opinion, it's not real strong about it. Yeah, I don't really feel real strongly one way or the other about it. And I'm so, okay with it because I used to be a baseball catcher. And the most nervous yeah. times were when you were having the pitcher do that for an intentional walk because you're yeah. so not used to throwing way outside the zone like that that you just were bracing yourself to run back and dive, you know, or jump in the air and grab something. It was just scary sure. times. So. Yeah, you're paranoid that it, he, because he's not you're not used to catching that and he's not used to lobbing it, you know. Right, yeah. It, it does eliminate this mistake of a pitcher throwing the ball past the catcher accidentally, uh, which I guess pitchers probably like it because they, you know, eliminates them worrying about it. Pitchers and catchers probably like it. I would yeah. assume. And it's such a mental game in so many respects. It's like some people throwing to first base. You have a 95 mm-hmm. mile an hour pitcher who can just rocket a strike down the zone, but they can't hardly throw it over to first base unless it's underhand. Yeah. Oh, John Lester, the Cubs ace is that way. So. Can't, he doesn't, won't throw the first base. Yeah, I mean it's just a different environment uh, with them, and it's like I said, it's so it's so mental. So, um, but think about it. You know, we're going to go to break here shortly. Uh, we're getting the music pulled up, but uh, are there any other rules that you think should be changed or tweaked? Is is the kind of one I'll throw out to you over the break here, and, and uh, we'll see if there's anything that comes to mind for you as we uh, slide into our to our break. And again, this is 970 WDAY, and I'm Tim Flacco, hosting for Rob, guest hosting, I should say, for Rob Port. So. If, you want to call in, call in at 293-9000 or 888-970-9329. Well, welcome back to 970-WDAY. Our guest this afternoon is John Dietrich, and I'm Tim Flacco, your guest host. Uh, sitting in for Rob Port this afternoon. So, John, I threw out a question to you before the break. Uh, are there any rules that you can think of that you would like to see changed if you were uh, made the uh, ultimate commissioner of baseball in the major league or, or minor league? Uh, well, in the minor leagues, I'd like to see some of the goofy nicknames eliminated, like the yard goats but uh, <laughs> or the jumbo shrimp. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. Jacksonville changed their name this year from the Suns to the Jumbo Shrimp. I guess they're trying not to, you know, offend anybody. So they figure you can't offend animals or food, so you go after that or whatever. Okay. But um, if that was the minor leagues, the major leagues, you know, the rule about all the replay rules, I like the idea of getting the calls right, and I think that's fine. But they take way too long to me, and that, uh, they're trying to speed up the game, and that slows the game down. Right, I mean, you know, right. just the other day they said now it's going to now they got a new rule this year where the man, uh, the manager has to decide if he's going to review the uh, you know ask for a review. Uh, he has thirty seconds to decide, and they've got a thirty second shot clock, if you will, 
you know, going and the, he had, when that thing goes out, he can't review, he can't request a review. That's fine. And that seems to be working, but, it, but they're all supposed, so supposed to have a rule that says you can only have two minutes. The umpires in New York who are uh, looking at the video replay have to give a ruling within two minutes. And that has not been adhered to. I, I mean, I watch a lot yeah, of ball games because yeah. I've got the MLB.tv package in my house, and I, I watch every day. I usually watch the Indians and the Cubs every day, and um, that's the rule, I think. If, there, if, if it was me, you know, I'd, I'd want that quicker. I don't see why it needs to take longer than a couple of minutes to look at the video and decide. Yeah, yeah. So next, John, I just want to throw out some rapid-fire questions. It's kind of yes, no, or just give us a name type thing. So you don't have to justify your reason why. Uh, just throw throw it out if that's okay. Uh, and yep. we didn't prep. I probably should have sent you this in advance, but why why do that, right? Uh, should, uh, nope. Pete, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Best player you've seen in person? Well, uh, Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn, favorite all-time in-game promotion because I know you know minor league baseball really subsists on uh, in-game promotions. You were the king of many of those promotions. W- which one is kind of near and dear to your heart? Old game, nobody does it anymore. Called Strico. You just roll out a board, you know, and throw a ball through a hole in the board, and fan goes to the pitcher's mound, and if he can get the ball through the hole, he wins a nice prize, and you know he. Gets three chances. It's a simple game, but it's easy for every fan to play and kind of fun and quick and easy to get on and off the field with it. Sorry, about, I gave too much explanation. How about best giveaway item at the gate? You know, we used to give away a variety of things, and I won't pre-prejudice you by that. But Well, my favorite is ca- a cap, cap yep, day, yep. you know, but uh, Everybody the most popular today is bobbleheads yep, yep. for the last few years. The uh, player you wish you could have seen play live from any era, any time in baseball, Major League Baseball? Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. That would have been a great one. Best position player of all time? Best position player of all time? Willie Mays. Uh, Best right-handed starter of all time? Right-handed starter? Right-handed. Right-handed, yep. Um, Bob Feller. Bob Feller. And you brought him to the uh, Newman at least once or twice, I remember, during your time there. He's a longtime friend of ours. Great guy. Uh, Great great American. Best left-handed starter of all time? Sandy Koufax. Yeah. Uh, And you can can dub out of this one if you you don't want to. Most overrated player of all time? Now, see, that takes some thought. Somebody that you kind of go, yeah. Hmm. I'd have to think about that a while, but I would go with Jose Canseco from first. my first thought. Yeah. In part probably because it wasn't just him. It was uh, he was, as they say, a little had a little aid going with him. So, um, yeah. Right. So what, what's your thought? And um, should, you know, these, and these are more like longer questions. We're done with the, the, the rapid fire round if we could. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay. You know, I've been watching you know, some baseball and the TV reports on home runs off, you know, speed off the bat. 
I don't know. Is that just something yeah. they're adding, or I mean, do people really care about that, or is that just a new talking point, or what? I think yeah, just some more, something for the announcers to talk about. I don't know that the analytics guys might be using that though. You know, all these guys like I work for the Indians. They're all their front office is very heavily into the analytics, mm-hmm. and um, they may use that as a gauge of you know how quick a guy's bat is and how hard he's hitting the ball in general. Uh, but the announcer, the purpose of the fans, I think it's just something more for the announcers to talk about, but. Uh, I think the analytics guys may judge, uh, you know, how hard a guy hits a ball by looking yeah. at that. Well, and, and John, we know it's the uh, ninth anniversary of your father passing away, and we uh, we all want to send our sympathy to you for that because we know those those pains never go away, and it's because of the great love you had for him. And I know you talked to him often, but are there things that are still on your uh, waiting to come onto your highlight reel for you and Lois? I know you just became grandparents this past year. So 15 seconds or less. We did. Our 50th anniversary is uh, coming up. Yeah, This will be our 40, uh, let's see, our 47th. Okay. So that's coming up, and we're hoping to keep our health to be able to get there. And uh, the other thing, which is good right now, yeah. we don't have any, we have issues that all people are our age to have, but we yeah. don't have anything. And we're up against the break here, so we're going to have to cut away, John. I apologize. Okay. I gave you too long of it option there so we'll be right back after the uh 136 for the 130 sections we now join ag news in progress from the red river farm network well welcome back everybody i hope everybody's having a phenomenal day on this thursday it's almost the weekend and i think there's a lot of people that i'm running into that are certainly looking forward to it. Hopefully the weather holds and uh, goes on from there. But I'm host, uh, guest hosting for Rob Port. And if you want to call in, that's 293-9000 or 888-970-9329. And as uh, stated earlier, uh, we have a really neat program we want you to hear about today. Dr. Kay Brewer-Doran, the uh, Dean of the Office School of Business at Concordia College, uh, is here to talk about a new executive education program that they're just in the process of launching. They've done a lot of back work on it. They have uh, areas uh, reading on their uh, website and executive education, uh, pervasive, uh, pervasive, <laughs> persuasive <laughs> communication, which that wasn't apparently, finance, data analytics, healthcare, leadership, manufacturing management, as well as, uh, as I understand, put together some custom programs of people have a specific need they want, whether it's a one-time or, or once a year or whatever. I think they're pretty flexible on that. So so uh, welcome to the show, and uh, uh, glad you could make it today. Thank you so much, Tim, for having me. So first question out of shoot, you know, I know you're fairly, you're relatively new to the Fargo-Moorhead area, and you'd, we talked off air, you'd been out in the East Coast, in the Boston area, at least, as, amongst other things. And um, upon arriving and meeting with several companies and reviewing available economic data, you concluded that uh, Concordia should start an executive education program, you know, targeted towards a specific area. So do you want to tell us about your research and, and why you and Concordia, the entire campus, made this decision? Sure. Right after I arrived, um, which was about the same time as the workforce study came out a couple of years ago, um, it became very clear that Fargo-Moorhead had grown dramatically and business's biggest problem was finding and keeping talent. And 
as somebody who came from a different part of the country, maybe with fresh eyes, I realized that while there were a number of degree programs from all three schools, there were no programs that were really targeted as short surgical strike programs for executives who were already middle managers, already high up in the organization, who aspired to leadership roles in their companies. And that's what we're targeting. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the challenges and the best practices that you came across as far as kind of developing these and, you know, analyzing everything as far as whether it be length of the program or, or target? How did you come down with the list that you developed? Uh, and I should throw kudos out to Susan Guybe, who exactly. I originally met for the, at, many years ago at the North Dakota Trade Office. So I knew her from then. And we had visited about this and uh, I was really excited. So that's why I thought it was great to have you on today. So, but what, what did you uh, kind of, how did you land on some of these? So we were really lucky to have someone as well connected as Susan to go out and do our market research for us. And she went out and connected with CEOs and senior managers at more than 40 different companies locally and asked them about what their most urgent needs were in terms of professional development for their executives and came up with a list of things. And what we're introducing right now is just the first of that list, the Mm -hmm. highest urgency that um, executives came up with. And so these are all based on market research, plus a little bit of what we can add to that based on what we know as educators that people might not even realize they don't have. So as you move forward, you know, I'm guessing you're kind of malleable in this. So you may have some programs that are once a year, some that are twice a year. Really, the the thing that will drive it is just the the overall interest. I mean, so what are are we looking at? Because I... So most, oh, go ahead. most programs will be offered once a year. Um, as we have additional demand, we'll either offer them further out, further out from, from the Fargo-Moorhead area, maybe in Bismarck, maybe in Alexandria, or we'll offer them twice a year in Fargo-Moorhead. But we intend to have a core group of programs, which will consistently be being developed as we learn. Um, and, of course, we'll also offer the opportunity to have custom programs to the larger corporations who may have larger groups of people who need to go. So the geographic area that you're, you know, originally servicing, uh, can you kind of explain that? You talked about some other places, but with the original classes or cohorts or, you know, programs you're having, what are you looking at there? So we're looking at anybody really from Bismarck to Alexandria, but concentrated around the greater Fargo-Moorhead area. So we have people coming from Wapaton, we have people coming from Valley City, but we're really drawing locally because there aren't these kinds of programs in the market here. Right. So I did, I've done a couple of executive education programs that absolutely love them. As a person who's been out of college for quite some time, it's just a, really a way to get reinvigorated, to get excited about what you're doing again and bring some new ideas. So uh, one of them was full at 50 students or participants. And uh, another one is full with 12. Uh, So what kind of size are you looking at? So we're generally targeting 20 to 30 people per section. In a couple of our persuasive speaking and business writing classes, those are capped at 16. But normally we'll be looking for a group that is large enough to have great discussions because students learn not only from the instructors but from each other. They're all experienced executives. And not too big so that people don't have a voice. We also really intend to develop that cohort so that when they leave their class, they have 30 new colleagues that they can call on as they go forward. 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things I got out of that. The one I was at at Harvard, my best friend from there is now the director of cybersecurity for the United States. And my colleague, my roommate there was a uh, admiral in the you know, Navy. So, I mean, it's really some neat people you can run into. And there's going to be a lot of people in this community uh, that will really be impressive people that you wouldn't necessarily run into otherwise and, and build those alliances. And they see it from a different perspective, I think, sometimes mm-hmm. as far as your challenges go. So you're largely going to be face-to-face in terms of these programs that you're having now? It will all be face-to-face. Um, and one of the things that we're doing a little differently than a Harvard, say, is that we are adding in most of the programs a follow-up two to four weeks later for individualized coaching. So you leave your executive education program all charged up about what you've learned, and two or three weeks later you realize, I didn't think about this when I got my plan together. So we're building into the program an hour or two of individualized coaching for most of those programs. And I think one of the great things you're offering, though, is the fact that they are of a modest length, So, and people don't have to pay what I paid to fly to, uh, you know, well, we them. Just, so it really does make a difference. You're putting the money closest to the faculty. We'll call them faculty members, even though I know you have captains mm-hmm. of industry that are doing some of this, too. Right. So a couple of things there. Number one, we found that companies here were sending people all over the country for executive education because none was available here. So they were sending them to the East Coast, the left Coast, um, and uh, we can provide the same kind of program at a much lower cost to local organizations. Secondly, um, we were able to really hone in on certain types of programs so that people could Um, take advantage of a short program and really tailor it to individual needs. So there's a series of leadership programs, but you may only want to send somebody to one or two segments of that where you feel like they need to up their professional skill level, not the whole long two-week program. So a question, you know, because one of the beauties is maybe one of the challenges, and this is the edge of your question, you know, strategic strikes, uh, you know, two-day programs kind of in and out, uh, in a, you know, it's helpful in the business environment because they don't have to be gone for extended periods right. of time so they can still be productive. Uh, how can the people make a difference in two days? How can your program make a difference in two days? Well, participants should not expect to show up and just sit back. These are very intensive, two-day-long programs with homework in between. And because they're concentrated on both specific theory and then practicing them, it's not a full, it's not a full degree program. It's nothing that you need that way. It is simply, let's work on this one skill set. Okay, I'm going to bundle a couple questions up because we only have a little bit of time, a few seconds. But, you know, who, are, who might your faculty be and, and what timeline and where can they get information from? So faculty are drawn from Concordia, from other local universities, from um, practitioners across the local area, and academics and practitioners from across the country, the best people we could find. Um, courses run starting in May, from May 10th. It- through the 15th in a series of small, short uh, courses. And what you should do is go to cord.edu, our website, slant executive ed, exec ed, E-X-E-C-E-D, exec ed, and all the information is there. And I'm excited about people having like Vern Dosh on, you know, yep. as one of your faculty and, and those kind of people. I mean, captains of business in North Dakota that have really done things. And Vern's kind of quietly done amazing things, you know, and as an example. So written great books, has done tremendous leadership, and so we want to pull from those people as well as academics. Great. Well, thanks for coming on, and then 
We're going to move into our uh, break here. And on our next segment, we're going to have Craig Whitney to kind of give us a little bit of an update on from the Chamber's perspective on what they're doing and also the legislative session uh, as they wind down in the next uh, few days or weeks. So- Well, welcome back. I'm Tim Flacco filling in for Rob Port, who's on assignment, I think, as they say. And this is 970 WDAY. And my next guest and final guest for the afternoon is Mr. Craig Whitney, the president and CEO of the Chamber of Fargo-Moorhead and West Fargo. So, Craig, we're going to kick it off. And thanks for coming on our show today. And uh, Tim, great to be with you. Yeah, I know you got a packed schedule. I know you got business after hours coming up this afternoon, I believe, uh, over at Ramada. So I appreciate you coming on. I know... You probably don't have any days that aren't really full with 800 things. Uh, so I'll tell you what, we, uh, we don't have trouble keeping busy, Tim, that's for sure. I would, obviously, we have a great staff that helps us uh, accomplish a lot for our members in the community, and we're just happy to serve. Yeah, you do really have a phenomenal staff, and I wouldn't even want to start naming names because I'd leave somebody off, but really exceptional. So the first one I want to throw out to you, and we're going to get to the legislative thing here shortly on uh, the limited time we have, but... I got to tell you, the eggs and issues that, you know, you put on with Excel Energy and Sanford as lead host is really, I think, one of the absolute best programs I've ever attended. I just can't say enough good about it. If, you, if the folks that are listening now haven't been to that uh, on a Tuesday morning, uh, first Tuesday of the month, I believe, typically, you're really missing something special. So kind of what's the the things that you want to tell them about that particular program, if you would, just to kind of roll out some things. You you bet, Tim. I, and I certainly agree with you. We believe that's one of our best programs. It's really an offshoot of our public policy program. It's designed, uh, as you said, first Tuesday of every month. It's a series. We try to brand it as a series. We've had it now for a little over two years. And the idea is that each month we bring a, an issue to the table that is timely, that is important to the community. Uh, in the past, a couple months ago, for instance, the topic was the uh, Blue Ribbon Task Force, the terrible problems we have with opiates in this community and around the country. Uh, last, uh, this pre- last month, we had a uh, uh, talk on the Bakken. We had Kathy Nessett come in, a geologist, as well as chair of the Higher mm-hmm. Education Board, and uh, Rob um, uh, from the Bakken backers, and they gave us an update. And actually, it was pretty optimistic about what they expect is in terms of oil coming back in both production and prices. And and uh, coming up uh, in May, we're actually doing the North Dakota legislative wrap-up at yep. Eggs and Issues. And then in uh, the following month in June, we'll be doing the Minnesota uh, uh, legislative wrap-up at Eggs and Issues. And we've had great comments, great success, good attendance, and we just think it's a great opportunity to bring issues to the forefront. And I think that one of the North Dakota legislative report, those things have been just great in the past. So if anybody has time to check that out, I mean, they really hit some of the big issues. And, and it's not a big kumbaya festival all the time either. There's different points of view that because you represent both chambers, both parties uh, that are there uh, historically. So it is a really great time well spent. So but talking about it the is, legis- and it's, I think it's really going to be interesting this this coming uh, session, to be honest with you, uh, in terms of how the session has gone and is going in Bismarck. So I think it'll be extra interesting this time. So as of 1 o'clock today, the legislature had about 30 bills left. 
uh, to deal with. So, I, you know, if they'll get done Friday or Saturday, no one knows for sure at this point, I don't think yet, but uh, there's estimates, but, that, you know, that are down to the short rows, as they say, on the farm. So what are some of the issues that your chamber has advocated for this session or fought against uh, if they counter, you know, counter were counter to your members' interests? What kind of things have you kind of been out there on front on? Well, I think um, we spent our most time following what's going on in higher education, uh, particularly the cuts at NDSCS and, and especially at NDSU. And uh, we've really been, uh, uh, you know, everybody recognizes that uh, th- this is a year that we have to cut and we have to cut budgets. But we, th- we think some of the cuts have been too deep for higher education. We think there could have been longer-range thinking and, and maybe other places to cut uh, because we don't want to uh, affect the ability for our higher education um, institutions to educate our children because the workforce issues that we are having, uh, the chamber and the EDC and others have been involved in workforce and will continue to be because it's a serious problem. And for us at the chamber, you know, we hear from our members every day that, you know, business is good, but we can't get the workers we need. So mm-hmm. the things that are being done in you know, all of our institutions locally are very important. Uh, so we've been following that mainly. We've had a, we've kept a keen eye on, and we still don't know where this is going to come down in the final days, on a, on a bill that would help with base retention. The last two right. sessions, the legislature has appropriated uh, five hundred thousand for each of the three cities. So five hundred thousand for Fargo, Grand Forks, and uh, and then. Uh, Um, Minot, and what it does is it gives us the ability to uh, go to Washington, D.C., to hire a consultant to fight to make sure that those bases remain in our state. And it's very obvious now with the new administration and Congress and the Air Force, there is going to be a next round of base closures, and we want to protect the base at Hector that where the Air National Guard are performing just fantastic and important missions for the national security of our country. And uh, we, we don't know where that's going to come up, but that's important funding. It's important for all three cities. We've been following that very closely. Uh, of course, we kept an eye on the Renaissance and, and, and testified on uh, how very important the Renaissance and how effective it has been in downtown Fargo and how we think we're a great example of how, um, how that has worked. And... Um, I guess those have been the key issues. I mean, we've had we've been involved in the the blue law discussion to some extent, um, but but those are the main ones, and and we're still very concerned with where the cuts will end up in higher education. Well, at this point, we'll have to just kind of stay tuned because we, you know, it all comes down to where the conference committee folks are, and you know, there are people sitting on the sidelines twiddling their thumbs, and there's people that are uh, up to their eyeballs and challenges on the conference committee, so. We're just kind of staying in touch with them and, and pushing forward and reminding people to contact your legislators, even though it's the 11th hour on some of these things. We just got some money in for governor's school this past week. wasn't fully what we wanted, but we made a big dent in that. So I want to thank you for coming on, Craig, and uh, probably see you at uh, Business After Hours this afternoon. So Sounds great, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yep. And again, I'm Tim Flacco, and I want to thank everyone for listening today, and uh, we'll send you off to break. Mama like a southbound train Hey